Well, I, uh, I knew Mike Ramsey before um, I knew my wife. We were in freshman art class together at Wake Forest, and um, I was the atheist and he was the Christian, but yet he was the cool guy and I was the dork. Um, and the, the teacher absolutely loved Mike um, and uh, thought he was this incredible artist, which he is, um, and she didn't like me very much. And so I still resent Mike for that. Um, <laughs> he also is the only one that knows the, uh, this nickname that... Uh, it was given me my freshman year of college, so you can ask him about that after the service. Um, last week we looked at church discipline, and I've had some conversations with people since then, um, and uh, that is a difficult subject. Um, it felt heavy, I know, to some people, and um, sometimes when you hear the word church discipline, and that passage never uses that phrase, by the way. Um, someone said afterwards, you should probably call it church discipleship. But um, it can sound legalistic, like a timeout or something like that, or like being called to the principal's office. And so um, it's interesting that when you look at what Peter does here, how he reacts to it, this is the passage right after that. Look at the question he asks, um, because this tells you the way that the disciples actually took the teachings of Jesus on church discipline. Verse 21, and then because of what Peter just, because of what Jesus just said, um, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Okay, so Peter was scandalized, not by the strictness of Jesus' teaching on church discipline, but by its leniency. He was scandalized by its leniency. And he wasn't thinking, I can't believe we're going to have to start excommunicating these sheep. That's not, obviously, what was in his mind. What was in his mind was... Um, how many times are we going to have to do this thing where we just keep forgiving these wayward people again and again and again? And so he exclaims with perhaps exasperation, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive? And the response of Jesus is basically limitless. 77 is a symbol for basically infinity. And then this parable just underlines the point And it's not so much a parable about how much we should forgive, which was Peter's question. It's more of a parable about how much we have been forgiven ourselves. And so we ask the question to God, how many debts do I need to clear? All these people that owe me debt. How many many times do I need to clear these people's debts? And then Jesus says to us, how many debts have you been cleared of yourself? And so the parable is basically an invitation to get out of our cramped world of karma and uh, you know, paying every single uh, wrong with some kind of equal punishment and settling accounts to get out of that cramped world of karma and to move into this unsettling world of grace where there is this 10,000 talent forgiveness that is required. And so that's what I want to contrast is Karma and grace. And um, so the word karma I'm using uh, in the sense of um, verse 23, where Jesus sets up a story in this familiar world of settling accounts. So the whole thing centers on a king. Verse 23, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king uh, who wished to settle accounts with his servant. And so right there, the audience would have been very aware. Okay, we're talking about settling accounts. We're talking about... um, You owe something, you pay it back. And I would say that one way to define karma is simply um, that it is an existence of moral scorekeeping. Where you get exactly what you deserve. 
No more, no less. You know, what goes around comes around. And um, a lot of people think that karma is kind of an exotic, like, Eastern term, and so it's mysterious and kind of, like, laid back. You know, there's a pizza at Mellow Mushroom called Cosmic Karma, and it has these swirls of pesto and tomato sauce. And if you look up karma on the Internet, you see these images that make it seem uh, like this kind of hip and cool thing. But uh, if you ask anyone from the caste system in a country where actually karma is believed in and practiced, then I think they will tell you, no, no, that's not it. It's, it's totally uncompromising. The idea is that not only do the consequences of my bad actions haunt me in this life, but they carry over into the next life. And I read a little website about a guy who grew up in India that was explaining, like, he doesn't understand how Westerners have this view of karma that we have. Um, and it's not that karma totally excludes grace. Um, it's not like that's not part of the system at all. But it is more like forgiveness are these little tiny islands of um, um, archipelagos in this vast sea of justice. So there is a place for forgiveness, a tiny place for forgiveness that might occasionally be required. But primarily, it's, a, it's an ocean of justice. Whereas Jesus would say it's exactly the opposite. Where the, the ocean we live in is grace and forgiveness. And they're kind of these little tiny islands, these archipelagos of karma that you hit every now and then. But essentially, we live in a world of grace. The word, the word uh, number 10,000 was the biggest number in the Greek language. So it's like Googleplex. It's, an, it's, it's not infinity, but it's the biggest thing that you could think of. And then a talent is the largest Roman unit of money. So we're talking about this massive amount. Jesus intentionally makes it an absurdly large amount of money. And so a, a mathematician uh, in America uh, who studied the parable said this would be basically $7 billion. So he sets up the parable in this way that this is an absurd number of uh, dollars. And he's saying that's how much we all basically owe. That there's a, like a price tag over our head that says $7 billion all the time. There's those uh, five-hour energy commercials where people walk around with batteries over their head. You know, the battery life, it'll say like 80% in the green or 5% in the red. And the guy drinks one of the five-hour energy drinks, and it goes from being like really low, red, like 1%, all the way up to 80%. And so he was slouched, and his eyes were closing, and now he's upright and peppy. So imagine a moral system where there is a symbol hanging over your head that's like dangerously in the red, you know, 0.0000001. And I think Christ is saying, that's you. You're, you're basically bankrupt, all of us, morally. Just not an easy thing to hear. But look at verse 25. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had. Um, which sounds too harsh, but if you owe $7 billion, you've taken $7 billion of this guy's money, you've squandered it, you can't give it back to him. This is not too much to ask for that. And so this guy is basically in permanent debt slavery. Um, this is what they did to people in great debt back then. They didn't have bankruptcy. Basically, you lost your whole life and your family. And uh, a mathematician also estimated that it would take 200,000 years to pay off that debt for he and his whole family to be working in a debtor's prison. 200,000 years. And yet, he is dumb enough to say in verse 26, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And uh, I think Jesus is just mocking 
our foolishness in thinking, you know, I've got this under control. I need a little more time to get my life back in order. But basically, I can be a, a good person with just tweaking a few things here and there. And so I think the, the point is that we all have this assumption that we are doing pretty well with occasional lapses. But in a universe of karma, we're holding our own. That we're like the guy who just drank the five-hour energy drink and we're upright and peppy. We're in the 85 to 90 percentile. Better than most people. Not the very best, but um, we are doing our best and we're debt-free with all our good works. But the reality that Jesus is bringing in here is the exact opposite. That, in fact, the debt grows bigger every day. And that we can't even really balance the budget, much less lower the total amount of debt. There's a lyric in the song by uh, Arcade Fire that says, Do you think your righteousness can pay the interest on your debt? I have my doubts about it. That uh, even paying the interest rate with our moral good deeds won't get it done. And so, you know, that should leave you with the impression that Jesus thought that we were in really bad shape morally. Um, and verse 28 um, confirms that. This is why we are in such bad moral shape. When that same servant went out after being forgiven seven billion, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And that's not a small amount of money. That's about $15,000. So it would have taken a few months for this servant to pay him back that amount in debtor's prison. So he, he, he's forgiven seven billion. He goes out and he finds a fellow servant who owes him $15,000. And he seizes him. Violently, He begins to choke him and he says, pay back what you owe. And again, the point he's making here is that uh, the way we live in a world of karma is we develop this thirst for payback. And this mindset of getting even and these thoughts we have of um, being obsessed with settling scores, we say, why did he get that position and not me? And why do you always get to sleep through the night and I have to wake up and take care of the child? And why do I do all the work around the house? I take out the trash, I do the dishes, I do the bills, I do the car, I do the yard. What are you doing? And how are you getting an A in this class when I'm smarter than you and I've got a B? And why is she starting at point guard instead of me? And on and on and on. And whatever field you're in, there's all this comparison, there's all this settling accounts and if you notice the the guy finds the servant so he doesn't just run into the servant the guy's been forgiven seven billion dollars doesn't just have to be walking down the road and run into a guy who owes him fifteen thousand no he goes and as soon as he's forgiven he finds the guy so we're not talking about this passive thing where i'm having a hard time forgiving someone jesus has a lot of patience with that because if you're having a hard time forgiving someone you're not the person in this parable this is the person that is intentional and premeditated, and he is a forgiven debtor who is now crusading for his moral rights. That's the type of person he's describing in the parable. So instead of being humbled, he is outraged. And instead of praying, you know, forgive us our debts, we uh, have forgiven our debtors, the guy seizes him, he chokes him, he says, pay what you owe. And you notice there this double standard is unbelievable. The hypocrisy is incredible. And no other moral teacher besides Jesus had the insight into the human condition to point things like this out in the way that he does. In a simple parable. Um, the guy owes $7 billion and he, verse 26, he, he falls to his knees. He implores the king, have patience with me and I will 
pay you. Which is, again, totally delusional. He couldn't have done that. But then the other guy who owes him $15,000, which he could pay in a few months, in verse 29, listen, look at the wording, he falls down and pleads with him. Exactly the same phrase. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Exact same words. But the guy completely misses the connection. And partly Jesus is saying, did you miss the connection when I told you that story? Did you not realize that it was exactly the same action? Exact same words. But then verse 30, he refuses and he went and he put him in debtor's prison. And the point here is that um, we give so much more grace to ourselves than to other people. We have this double standard that um, if anyone points it out to us, there's just absolutely nothing you can say in response. It's so clear. This is kind of a trivial example, but I, go, I march into our, my house, I get home from work, I throw my bag down on the table, my hydro flask on the counter, my tea on the hutch, and then I look and there's Cooper and Roosevelt's bag, you know, out in the hall, and I, and I become furious. And I'm like, what is your stuff doing in the hall? And they're like, uh, Dad, your bag's right there, and your hydro flask's right there. And I'm like, it's been a long day. I was going to pick that up in five minutes. You know, what, your stuff, you weren't going to pick that up at all the rest of the day. I know you. And Jesus is simply asking this question, um, verse 33, shouldn't you have mercy in the same way that I have mercy on you? I mean, such a simple question, but uh, so condemning, I think, to all of us. Will you offer the same mercy that you require every day? And does anyone owe you, anyone at all, does anyone owe you anything even close to equal to what you owe God and what you've been forgiven by God? So that's point one, karma. And point two is the opposite, which is grace. And in 2005, there was an interview with the lead singer of U2, Bono. And this is where I got the idea, really, is uh, this pretty famous interview, which I would encourage you to read the whole thing. It's fantastic. But... um, He says this, he says, the thing that keeps me on my knees, and he has a lot of reason not to be on his knees. He's a very very successful, very handsome, very good singer, very good artist, crusader for human rights, all that stuff. Uh, He, in some ways, should be the most proud and obnoxious person in the world. But Bono says, the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. At the center of all religions is the idea of karma, that you reap what you sow, all that stuff. Grace interrupts the consequences of your action, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be my judge in the end. I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins on the cross. And that's the second point. We're moving into now grace, which is in some ways the opposite of karma. And if you remember Peter's question that provoked all this, it's, uh, do I have to forgive up to seven times? Which he thought was being very generous, because in his day, the rabbis taught that you should forgive three times. Again, that forgiveness, there are these islands that you come across every now and then in this great sea of uh, law and karma, and so they figured out uh, three times. It's okay to forgive a little bit, but not more than three times. And so... Peter's being generous. He just adds one to double that, so he gets to seven. And Jesus says, no, not, not seven times, Peter, but 77 times. 
And he's not giving Peter an alternative number, right? He's not saying you can stop at 76. Again, it's symbolic. And what he's saying is that forgiveness that is true forgiveness is infinite and knows no limits. And there are times to confront people on what they've done to you. It doesn't mean you don't confront anybody, but uh, you have no right to ever hold uh, a grudge or hatred or say, I could never forgive them for what they do. Christians can't do that kind of thing. This is one of the things that makes Christians so different from people who are not Christian. And it's one of those things that makes it really hard to be a Christian. This parable about limitless grace, which is not a story about where we can stop in forgiveness. It's not really a story about us at all. Peter's asking a question about himself. How much do I have to forgive? And then Jesus tells him a parable about a king. And so the center of the parable is not the one having to forgive. It's the king who forgives everything. The center of the parable is this debtor, right, who's, who, owe, who owes $7 billion. So what Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, you're the debtor. You're not the king. You're the one who owes everything. And there's this mind-boggling compassion in verse 27 where it says, Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And he asks nothing. The guy is kind of fumbling around with his speech about how he can pay it all. And before he even finishes the speech, uh, the king is like tearing up you know, his account. He's shredding the paper. He's saying, forget about it. I'm going I'm to bear all the cost of this. And forgiveness is bearing the cost of somebody else's sins that they committed against you. Whether it's physical, usually it's emotional, where you don't gossip about them. You don't unload on them. You don't unload on other people about them. That's what forgiveness means. You're, you're absorbing the debt. And basically, he's giving this man his life back. This guy lost his entire family. He should have. He should have spent his life in debtor's prison. And the king is giving him his life back. Which, uh, which is an incredible feeling that I know from this past summer where um, in late June, my wife and I were waiting for the results of this PET scan that she had had because um, she had breast cancer and we were waiting to f- see how far it had spread. And it, it really shouldn't have spread at all. It was so small, but it it did spread a little bit. We didn't know how far, but we knew it had gotten out, which was terrifying. And so um, because it had done these things were unexpected, we didn't know how far it would go. So we had a PET scan of the entire body, which um, apparently, if you know anything about them, very sensitive. They would show any cancer anywhere and maybe more. They had false positives a lot. And so that day waiting for that was really one of the worst days in my life. And the two of us tried to do chores or anything. We just couldn't get anything done. Couldn't think of anything. And so um, I was watering the flowers when uh, she got the call. And she um, ran out the door and our eyes met. I could just tell from her eyes that it hadn't spread. And so I just threw the hose down. The water was just, you know, it was flying everywhere. And we just embraced, fell to our knees, began to just weep uncontrollably and praise God. And that's the feeling this guy should have had. And if you really understand your relationship with God, that's the feeling you would have. That your life, your entire existence has been given back to you. And so um, we ask, how much forgiveness do I need to offer And the king says, why would you ever stop? I never stop with you. And we say, 
But my roommate is incredibly annoying and deceptive and doesn't do any work. And my colleague has been backstabbing me and they have essentially undercut me, undermined me. They took credit for everything that I did. They put me down in a meeting. And my boss um, doesn't ever listen to anything I do. Gives other people raises and not me. Never gives me any compliments. Is always micromanaging me. And my teacher is like a slave driver, a tyrant. They make me do all these assignments unnecessarily. And my ex, boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband. I mean, that's the hardest of all a lot of times. The one who betrayed you or broke your heart. And yet the king says, I never stop forgiving you. There's no limit to my grace. And there's nothing you can do to stop his forgiveness. I mean, there's never a moment where it's too late to ask for forgiveness. Even a serial killer, a mass murderer, someone like Ted Bundy, which he did do. He asked for forgiveness at the last second, and he was forgiven. The thief on the cross had never done anything good his whole life. Crucified next to Jesus for being a thief, for probably uh, killing people as well. Never done a single thing good in his life. He asked Jesus to forgive him, and Jesus says... Today you will be with me in paradise. Limitless forgiveness. I mean, the one telling the story is the king in the story. And so there are no limits whatsoever to grace or forgiveness. But the frightening conclusion of the parable, which I can't skip over, is that you can deny the reality of grace. You know, we talk about fake news, and there's no fake news like your own righteousness. And we can try to live in that mindset, and, and that is where it becomes dangerous. In verse 34, uh, in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And Jesus says, so my heavenly Father will do to you if you do not forgive from the heart. And you're thinking, why in a parable about forgiveness would you end with this threat of hell? And I think the answer is not that God is unwilling to forgive, but that it is possible for a human being to cling to unforgiveness and live in a world of karma their entire life and never give it up. Not for all eternity, give it up. And so he's warning us. This is a loving warning that you have to be very careful and you can refuse grace. That is an option available to all of you. You can refuse grace. You can try to live in this false world of karma and you can shut it all out because it's too much love and too bright and too beautiful and demand karma. I was uh, driving around last Tuesday. It was such a gorgeous evening around 5, 6 p.m. Perfect spring evening. There was this smell of uh, honeysuckle and cherry blossoms in the wind and there were children playing and I could hear birds chirping. But um, I had rolled all my windows up. And I was fiddling with the air conditioner to get it just right, and my air freshener was in. And I realized at some point, what am I doing? I'm in Ardmore in the spring on a perfect night, and I'm living in this little cocoon, this little bu- bubble of uh, my, own, my own van, my little white van idol that I have shut everything out from uh, in this artificial reality that I'm living in. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. Like, why are my windows up right now? Why is my air conditioner? Why, why am I living in this world when there's a great big world of spring out there and life and blossoming? And I think that hell is being surrounded in a world of grace and just clinging to karma. This, I'm not going to give this up. 
because I have my rights and no one's going to take from me my rights. I've been wronged and I will have justice. And if you don't think that can happen, you need to watch the, um, the musical or the movie or read the book Les Mis, Les Miserables by uh, Hugo, Victor Hugo. There's a police detective named Javert and there is a spoiler in this, uh, in, in this illustration, so leave right now if you, don't, if you don't want to know. But there is a police detective named Javert who has spent his whole life hunting down an escaped convict named Jean Valjean. And um, the book goes into why Javert is like this. It's fascinating. He's a fascinating character. But Javert finally finds this ex-con escape from prison um, Jean Valjean, who he hates, and he finds him and he's ready to arrest him, but Jean Valjean overpowers him. He's a stronger man by far, and he is, um, he is in a position where he could kill Javert, his archenemy his whole life. And yet, what does he do? He spares him. He forgives him, as he was forgiven when he was a young man. And Valjean walks away and leaves Javert in this state of forgiveness. And instead of being grateful, uh, Javert is furious and he's disoriented and he's boggled by this act. He's flummoxed by this forgiveness. And this is what he says in the, uh, in the musical. He says, damned if I'll live in the debt of a thief. Damned if I'll live in the debt of a thief. I am the law and the law is not mocked. I'll spit his pity right back in his face. There's nothing on earth that we share. It is either Valjean or Javert. And then the music begins to change, and you realize that uh, in this song, this soliloquy, he's actually beginning to contemplate grace, this thing that's happened to him. And he says, now my thoughts fly apart. Can this man be believed? Shall his sins be forgiven? Shall his crimes be reprieved? And must I now begin to doubt, who never doubted all these years? My heart is stone and still it trembles. The world I have known is lost in shadow. Is he from heaven or from hell? But tragically, uh, he ends with karma. And he says, I am reaching out, but I fall, and the stars are black and cold. And there's this whole song about stars where he's singing about the beauty of justice. But now he says... uh, The stars are black and cold as I stare into the void of a world that cannot hold. I'll escape now from that world, from the world of Jean Valjean. There's nowhere I can turn. There is no way to go on. And if you know the story, at that point he jumps off a bridge. And he cannot live in a world of grace. And uh, a lot of us have a very hard time living in a world of grace. And um, it is for that reason... That the king of this parable came and he dove into that hellhole of karma that we try to live in. And he bore all of our debt. It's, it's easy, again, to forget the suffering required by, by grace. You know, it's not like God could just come down here and just say, Oh, I'll forgive them all their sins, no big deal. No, there's a debt. There's a debt to be paid. There is a $7 billion. The king was bankrupted by this loan that he never got back. He lost his kingdom. Forgiving the debt cost him his entire life. And that's exactly what uh, we celebrate at this table. Um, You know, someone said to me before the service, um, 
If there's someone that you could never have a meal with, like you've shut your heart out to that person that you would never want to eat with your whole life, then it's, it's a dangerous thing to come up and pretend like you live in a world of grace. Like this, the thing about this table that we come to is, um, it's not just a symbol. We believe that the king of that parable really is here amongst us. He reigns through this meal in many ways. Um, and so to come up here and partake of this is to say, I live in that world of grace. I'm going to give up my world of karma that I've been living in, this lie in my head. I'm going to give that up and I'm going to reconfigure my settings around grace, around forgiveness. That I have nothing to hold over anyone's head. So if you're coming up here, that's what you're saying. Which is not to say that you're, you're not struggling. I mean, everyone, um, I think, is struggling to forgive someone. And if you don't think you are, you're probably not really being very self-aware because there's always someone out there. And this is an opportunity to forgive right now and to enter that world of grace. And like I said in the parable, it's open to anyone. This is, this is not a closed table. It is open. Uh...